One of those things that I learned was this kind of an ownership mentality and accountability. Where I would typically start would be understanding what they wanted in their future. Clarity in the why and the what, and not spending too much time in the how. Why does it matter? Why is that something of importance? What will we get done? And then letting the team members discover, enjoy the journey of the how. It is amazing the magic that can happen when people come together on a unified mission. It really is special. The voice you just heard is Dustin Marks, one of the most prolific division managers in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing Field Organization, and now a successful entrepreneur running his own company called Stellar. Throughout his career, Dustin has been an expert at leading others towards their own vision of growth and success and inspiring his teams to excellence in the pursuit of common goals. Dustin produced over $55 million in sales during his time with Vector, and now he's leading Stellar on an upward trajectory to great success. His is the quintessential entrepreneur's journey with plenty of challenges mixed in with milestone achievements. If you run a business of any sort or lead people in any capacity, you can gain some great insights from the story and lessons of Dustin Marks. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. My guest today is a true legend of the Cutco Vector business, Dustin Marks, who is an amazing division manager with the company for many years. Dustin got started in 1999 with Cutco Vector with John Carpenter, who he himself is an amazing Cutco Vector legend. Dustin went to Indiana University, graduated with a degree in finance. He ran a branch during his college years and then became a district manager in 2003 in Texas. He became a division manager in 2006, taking over the Gulf Coast division. And he was one of the top division managers in the company for many years. Dustin was prolific at developing other managers. Uh, I think during some years, he had as many as 40 or 50 managers under his guidance throughout multiple divisions in the Southwest region. Ultimately, he produced over $55 million in Cutco sales before moving on from the company to tackle other challenges. 
Dustin is the founder and CEO of Stellar, which is a B2B marketplace connecting rental properties with skilled labor. He has had amazing success in building that business, which is one of the things we're going to talk about here today. Dustin Marks, great to see you. Welcome to the podcast. Dan, it's awesome. Glad to be here. Uh, It's great to connect with you again. Yeah, it's been too long and I'm happy to have you here uh, as a guest. You are, as I said, definitely one of the biggest legends in the history of uh, Cutco Vector. So it's going to be fun talking to you here. Anyone who gets a chance to go, I still remember, Dan, going and um, getting picked up in your Maserati back in the day and flying out to see you. And so very excited. And even in that, I felt like a legend at that time. So, <laughs> That's nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Old times, man. Take us back to 1999, Dustin. Tell us about how you got started selling Cutco. Yeah. So um, I had just graduated uh, from high school and uh, was real fortunate. My family was really focused on education. And so, but we kind of grew up or I grew up in more kind of a lower socioeconomic environment. And so had a scholarship to go to college, but uh, didn't, you know, have enough to cover everything and didn't want to take out any student loans. And I thought my path to riches and success was to be a bartender. And so got hired on as a bartender. I showed up for my first day of training and that person who had hired me was no longer there and went home. I got a letter in the mail. Uh, So I'm the old direct mail. I don't know if you guys still do that or not. And this high pay rate at the time, I don't recall exactly what it was. Maybe it was like 10 or 12 bucks an appointment. And I was like, okay, let me go check this out. And went in for my first interview. And I was pretty taken already, you know, just with the process, the person who interviewed me ended up becoming a division manager, Wes Melcher, you know, uh, which is pretty crazy. He was in John Carpenter's office at the time. Yeah. yeah, Uh, And the rest was history. So I got started in, in 99 and I had never really done any sales prior to that at all, you know, but, uh, it was interesting just even in that interview where I was like, yeah, I think I can do this, you know, even though I don't have it. And I, was, I already had a bunch of conviction in the product, even though I wasn't into knives at all, you know, prior to that. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't think I could do it when I went to the interview. And then I was sitting there waiting, you know, at the end of the interview. And I, and I kind of shifted that thought from, I don't think I can do this to, I need to do this. Just really realized that it was something that would help me a lot. Tell us about some of the experiences that stand out during those early days. Yeah, it was one, I still remember uh, my very first push week, um, where's the, you know, the, the sales contest. And one of the things for me when I was younger is in some ways I was kind of slacker in that I, I didn't always apply myself. And one of the great things uh, I remember going through that first push week um, that I experienced, I went to the conferences and some meetings prior to it and heard so many inspiring stories. And, and I, I really, even though I hadn't done it before, I, my, my self-confidence grew in that, you know, I felt like it was worthwhile to, to go for it. Even if I might fail, my fear of failure uh, through some of those meetings was able to kind of almost get popped, if you will. And uh, I remember working harder <laughs> than I'd ever worked before, but applying myself, you know, as well. And my first week having a lot of sales success, and, and then my second week totally bombing <laughs> after that, and dealing with adversity, you know, but but having a lot of enthusiasm and encouragement, and, and 
you know, even to this day, I reflect fondly, you know, back on, on some of those times and, and what that experience was like as well. So that was probably one of my most fond memories for my first summer in the Dallas of selling with John Carpenter, you know? Yeah. It's always interesting to me how many people pointed at push week as a, a key moment in time for them and just the lessons that come out of it from really learning how, how, how to work hard, finding out what you're capable of, dealing with adversity, right? When it doesn't go the way you want it to. And just all the other things that I think uh, prepare us for real life, for sure. Tell me some other lessons that you feel like stand out as you went along during these early years. Yeah. So it was awesome for me to have the opportunity to be a branch manager. Nowadays, there's so many different accelerators that kind of cater to helping entrepreneurs kind of start their own business. And and for me, that probably was some of the most formative development and growth I ever experienced was going through that journey. And I, I still remember to this day as a branch manager getting sick and and I remember I had strep throat and it was like every which way all the reasons why not to give my best and and starting to kind of understand the the impact when you think about other people and you know when you are on purpose for them uh, and off self as as you know that was an old mantra I remember hearing about in my early uh, cut code days. And, and that was something that really stood out to me. And it's amazing what I was able to kind of do internally and in kind of my work ethic and discipline just, just from going, going through that experience. That one really stood out. That was absolutely one of the most incredible finding an office space, negotiating a lease, you know, uh, having that much entrusted to me. I, I still remember this is way back where there would be, I guess, consignment of product that would be given to me. And it was kind of cool. I was like, here I am a college kid. And they just gave me, I don't know, 10 or $20,000 worth of product and 10,000 bucks of, of startup capital. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, that, that's a lot to interest. Where a few weeks earlier, I was had my backpack, you know, trying to get my way to finals, you know? Uh, so <laughs> that was one of my um, really fond moments. Absolutely. And then there's like little things, you know, I never really made phone calls before, like, you know, and dealt with rejection and kind of just learning, learning some of those probably what stood out the most to me was the fact of it being just such a really great product. And from like life lessons of, if you have something that you personally have a lot of conviction in, that's kind of when I said, Hey, I feel like I can sell this because I really believed in that. And that has been a transferable note all throughout the rest of my life is that no matter what, whatever I'm doing, I need to have, whether it's a service or a product or whatever I'm about, I need to have full conviction authentically that it's something that I view as best in class. And that really stood out to me for sure. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the sort of fundamental reasons why Cutco succeeds is we definitely have something that people can have that conviction in. And it, it's so important as people move into other ventures in life that they feel that way about what they're doing, that they really believe in what they're doing. I think if you don't, there's always sort of a gap in what's possible for you when you don't have that, that type of conviction. So uh, it's great to, to know that you have continued to find that beyond Cutco. It's fascinating, Dan, to kind of double down on that is as an 18-year-old, that's at least for me when I started, you don't realize how rare it is to have 
something that you really can hold on to that, that you feel is great. Like it is a very unique component to the Cutco Vector offering of being able to have something that you really can stand behind because that does not exist in a lot of places in the marketplace. Yeah, for sure. Any other key concepts you feel like uh, you learned from your Vector experience that have been relevant all the way through to this day? ton of, of key concepts. Some of those, as far as as I progressed, some of just the time management, the personal discipline, overcoming obstacles, all of those just have, have shaped me kind of in my journey. And so, so much of, of what I do, even to this day, as, as an example, kind of the, the criticality of, of planning, right? And just taking the time in advance of thinking about what do you want to get accomplished for the day, the week, whatever the period of time is. And every morning, I still have the same habit of for the first 15 minutes of my day, just what do I want to get? What's the most important things that need to happen? Like those, those habits, they really were shaped and honed during that time as well too. So from the sales portion, I, I really was not a good salesperson. You know, I was able to uh, handle a fair amount of rejection uh, and was comfortable with that. I, I think for me, the bigger part of the Cutco Vector journey was kind of in the management development program and, and what you all had kind of instrumented and put together. That, that's really for me where I got the most of my takeaways from. Yeah. Well, you became an amazing division manager, like legendary as a division manager. As I said at the outset, you always were known for recruiting, building big teams, and then you were great with developing lots of district managers. I know you populated many of the divisions around your area in the Southwest. It wasn't just your own Gulf Coast division that you filled up, but as I said earlier, I think you had 40 or 50 some offices some years. What do you feel like are your strengths at building great teams, Dustin? So, um, one is I think I'm, I have had success in identifying talent and having people who are self-motivated, you know, themselves, they're inspired as well. And so that, that probably was, was the first thing was I, I was really fortunate to have some really amazing people. You know, in, in some cases, I kind of lucked into, you know, in, in some cases, just by doing all the right activities, you you kind of have that chance. And so I still remember taking over the Gulf Coast area and, and we had just, you know, Hurricane Katrina had just hit and the territory had like two offices and it was uh, one of those. And what's what's wild for me is one of those two was uh, Mark Bullard, who I think, you know, recently won a silver cup, you know, yes. and, and is, you know, all these yes. years later. He was willing to to deal with me um, as a little you know wet behind the ears, but we went literally from two to eleven to twenty two to thirty eight to fifty six. I still remember kind of year over year over year of, of the growth of offices, and it was empowering and and letting each of those people who are already really inspired, and motivated, build as big as they want. And, and so for me, one of those things that I learned, and some of this was from great mentorship from John Carpenter, and and was real fortunate with. Lloyd Reagan and Earl Kelly was was this kind of a, an ownership mentality is I really felt like I owned it and uh, accountability. And, and so for me, you know, really allowing these wonderful people I had the opportunity to work with to have complete ownership for what their success, their future looked like, and that they had self-accountability. They knew that I would provide accountability as well in their journey. 
and they really thrived. And so those were uh, just some really fantastic times. The other thing that that was kind of a lesson learned, uh, and, and this is in particular, I thought one of you know, Lloyd's really great strengths and, and something that for myself, I, I really try to have is, is just being very vivid in the vision and like having absolute clarity about what the future can look like, but more importantly, starting with why. Why does it matter? Why is that something of importance? Um, and what will we get done? And then letting the team members really discover, enjoy the journey of the how and, and not getting overly focused on being prescriptive of the how. And so that that has been, I think that was that was part of it. And, and so because there's that kind of culture it was just like a bunch of people at that time felt like, hey, one of the coolest things is this Cutco vector thing and how many of us can be a part of it and and, and how big can everyone kind of build that, you know, for, for their futures. And- yeah. You mentioned Lloyd. Also interesting to hear that Mark Bullard was one of the original managers that you worked with that you helped mentor and lead. I'm curious, uh, just who else were key influences on your career or key parts of what you built there? Other than you, Dan. So you were one for sure. So I don't like one of the cool things, the things that are unique about Cutco that I think are really special is not every business is oriented where people want to help others without there being a cost. <laughs> and that is, you know, you have a great product. Obviously, I really believed and had a lot of conviction in the, in the management opportunity and the learning and growth that, that can happen. So that was another product that I really felt confident in. But people were willing to help out. And I still remember one of the people I really was aspired to, to be like was Mike Muriel. And when I was first kind of coming up, he was like at the top of everything and really setting, you know, like, 05 and 06, just doing things that really had never been accomplished before. And he talked about being a student of the business, you know, and I know you had also spoke about that. And that really stood out to me of really kind of learning and being passionate to be great at it, but they need to study. And what was great is everyone's forthcoming. So this is before podcast. I think we had some audio, I don't know what it was called, Cutco Connect or something where you would dial into something and you could like listen in and people would share different things of what's happening, you know, as well. And little insights and nuggets. It was, it was a good precursor, you know, too bad it didn't get monetized as a podcast at that point. So for instance, you, you were really excellent in a variety of areas, but you were also willing to share, right? And it was like, here's great management practices and how to back to those push weeks and how to think bigger. And, and, you know, um, uh, for me, that that was something that really stood out. You know, Lloyd always great on, on the recruiting, and so Mike Muriel was was very helpful. And so there were so many people who shared. Uh, one of the people who was really formative for me was Earl Kelly, and just kind of his uh, methodology and approach to people, and uh, very pragmatic. And that was something that, that even to this day. On the other side, I had some really amazing people. So you know, someone who ended up becoming a co-founder of mine. You know, Danny Feldman. It was really cool for me seeing both Mark and Danny get promoted from that division into their own division managers. That was something I really, really enjoyed quite a bit. But two other people that had a big influence in different ways. One was Wes Goddard. Wes, as you know, I think is like just the ultimate sales guy. And so he kind of got me hooked on this whole Ironman thing. And uh, that that really inspired me down that journey, you know, as, as he was just you know, classic West saying like, you know, next to have my 
you know, kids, the coolest thing I ever experienced was coming down to shoot and being like, Dan, you are an Ironman. You know, it's like, okay, let me, I want to try that too. Um, and then, um, and then John Kane, you know, was just somebody who just was uh, a lot of sage wisdom uh, as well. Someone who, you know, even to this day have, have uh, uh, great respect for and appreciation of. Yeah. So that's a great list. I mean, a lot of amazing people that uh, you've been able to have in your orbit, whether it be people who mentored you or people who you mentored. I just, uh, I'm thinking about Mark Bowler. I'm thinking about Danny Feldman, as you said, like these are guys who you worked with, who ultimately ended up running their own divisions in Cutco. And, and, you know, you're just so good at developing people. You talked about the, you know, ability to identify talent, teaching accountability, providing them that vivid vision, the clarity, starting with why, all of those things that you did to help develop people like Mark, like Danny, and so many others. I'm wondering if you could get more into some of the methodology or strategies you used during those years to latch on to district manager candidate and to help them get to become a district manager and then help them get to become successful as a district manager. Is there anything you could speak to in those areas? I don't know if this is going to be novel or helpful, but I can share some of the things that I did. But again, one of those was people who naturally were oriented and aspire for success that were driven individuals. That was a big part. Where I would typically start would be understanding what they wanted in their future. And that would help me quite a bit because back to kind of my belief in the product, I had full belief in the Cutco physical product, but I also had a lot of belief in the district manager and kind of how that can help someone grow in, in their journey as well. You know, and I felt like whether it's a year or, you know, for me, I was after college, better part of a decade with Cutco, you know, I had a lot of conviction in that. And so a big part of it would be understanding where they wanted to go. And authentically, like I needed to believe it. Because, you know, not only did I need them to become a district manager, but I wanted them to like build a district. So I couldn't just be here making a promise. I need to be able to deliver on it. But it was, it was for me, a, a big part was helping them connect the dots to that future that they saw for themselves and what they would learn by going through this and, and what they would gain. I still have a person who works with me today, Jonathan Whitman, who... So I remember I recruited him in his first interview, you know, now we've been together in like four different companies, you know, kind of uh, in that journey as a district manager, a lot of success. And he's one of my, my top people now here at Stellar. And, and so, you know, you don't form those 20 year kind of bonds um, if you don't authentically believe and really care about for that person, their future. And so I, I think people saw that shine through when I would talk with them, that authenticity and, and, and that commitment to their future and their success. And then it was just us being committed to helping them along the way, you know, and, and, and helping them know where to go to get the success and who to ask and what to study and where to, to focus. And it was more kind of as, as somewhat more of a guide than necessarily being like overly prescriptive of these are the actual things, you know, that you need to do. It's everyone has their own kind of journey of success and, and it's more just empowering and, and enlightening them on, on where to look uh, for that success. Yeah. That, that's a great formula. It really reminds me a lot of like what Simon Sinek teaches about, you know, starting with why helping people understand the path from 
first of all, identifying what it is they want, but then understanding what is the path from here to there, why it's going to be beneficial. And then being committed. You talked about just being committed to helping them, doing what it takes as a, as a leader to help people get there. It's a great formula for division managers developing district managers. It's a great formula for region managers developing division and district managers. And uh, I'm sure that uh, this formula has carried over to what you're doing now. It's interesting, Dan, as you kind of talk through that, like one of the things that I learned at Cutco, and, and it was fortunate because the business model was oriented that way, was you had these kind of sage wisdom guides, you know, who would help you along the way um, too. And so now, no matter what those things are that I want to tackle, it's kind of like, who's been there? Who's done that? Let me talk to them and let me replicate a lot of what they do. And that will short, shorten my learning curve, right? And whether that's being a father or a husband, you know, or to, you know, other things such as building a business or doing an Ironman or, or whatever those things are that people aspire to do. That blueprint, that rubric has one, it served me well, but that really came about through Cutco. Yeah. I love that expression about the sage wisdom guides, right? Like in every area of life, we can look at, at who we have that fits that description. And there are people that are in that category for me in every area of life and getting around them, having conversations with them, learning from them, embracing feedback from them. These are all things that can help, as you said, speed up our process to get to where we want to be. Absolutely. And one of the things for you that I always appreciated was just the humility as well. You know, and I think that serves anybody well if it is, is that thirst for knowledge. And, and it starts with an, an understanding that there is more to learn and right. you have to kind of be grounded in that degree of humility. Right. Somebody taught me this example called the circles of knowledge once before, which is like the smallest circle is the stuff that you don't even know, you know, it's like instinct. And then the next smallest circle is the stuff that you know, you know, and then there's a bigger circle of all the stuff that you know, you don't know, which are things you're trying to learn, but that infinitely larger than all of those is the circle of what you don't even know, you don't know. And it's huge, right? And as you go through life and you're open, you develop more awareness, you start to become more aware of what some of those things are. And they move from things you didn't know you didn't know to things you know you don't know, and then you can learn them. And then eventually they become parts of who you are, and et cetera. So just that whole mindset of just understanding that there is so much out there that we have no idea about, no awareness of. It creates a greater level of humility and a greater sense of curiosity as well, at least for me. I totally agree. Yeah. How have these development strategies that you utilize as a division manager carried over to what you're doing now with Stellar? Some super transferable uh, at different times, right? And so for Stellar, uh, founded it with uh, Danny. This is in 2016. So you know, now it's about almost to seven years. And so at different stages, you know, businesses kind of take on different paths. And so uh, early on, so much of it is just, you know, lack of better, like hand-to-hand combat. And, and if we don't get certain things done, the business is going to go out of business, right? And so there was this urgency uh, that I learned within Cutco, whether it was a push week or um, as a manager of this is the season for our recruiting, or this is the season for a January program, whatever the, the, the different things were that um, uh, we were inspired to go do. And so 
So that urgency was something that was uh, really um, critical in the early days, along with this almost optimistic, this naive optimism that you can accomplish anything. (laughs) You know, you kind of almost to other people would go, boy, this person sounds like a fool when you're starting out your business, but you have to have that vision for yourself of of what you see it becoming, even if no one else um, can see that, right? And, And so those were were components that really helped at the very early stages when it was a couple of us around a kitchen table just getting started. And, you know, every day felt like it was literally, we would have moments in time where one hour you're like, this is going to be a billion dollar company and all of these wonderful things are going to happen. And then 15 minutes later in that same hour, you're like, what am I doing with my life? This is going to crash and burn and we're going to fail epically. And, and oh my gosh. And then you'd have these just incredible elations and these low points almost every day. It was wild. And so being able to kind of mentally and, and emotionally manage that is hard. But those were some, you know, kind of on the earlier side. As the companies started to grow and to scale, you know, now, you know, coming up at about 100 employees. So there has been kind of a different skill set, right? How do you put in systems and processes to enable others to be successful? And, and kind of, as you think about almost designing the system and how it should work and, and identifying talent and, and being able to help them in their journey um, as well. And, you know, probably the most substantial for me has been, again, kind of aligning with people who are much smarter than myself. Who, who, you know, are, are for whatever reason are willing to work with me, you know, and and really kind of wanting to lock arms and partner with those people. So, so those have all just been kind of different components at times that have transferred from from Cutco and kind of back to my very first learning and selling the knives. I have to have a product I fully believe in, you know, and, and so what we kind of some of the stuff that we deliver, it's hard, but it has to be something where something that I've got full conviction that we represent the best of its kind, best in class, much like Cutco, you know, as well. Those were a couple kind of in that journey of the building stellar. Yeah. Tell us about some of the success that is going on in the company. Can you brag for a minute about some of the results that have happened? Sure. Sure. So for us, you know, what we kind of, why we exist is to deliver a hassle-free maintenance experience. And so a lot of reasons why it's difficult for people to own uh, their own homes. And so it's easy uh, to rent or easier to rent than it is to buy. And, and But sometimes people can feel like a second-class citizen when they rent versus owning. Oftentimes for us, a lot of people we work with are blue-collar. You know, Sometimes it's a single mom who put her last paycheck into groceries and, and then their refrigerator's not working. And she's like, how am I going to feed my kids? You know, and so for for us, there's almost this calling of who else is going to care for this person in this moment of need. And, and, you know, sometimes people have issues with their home and they're minor, you know, and sometimes they completely disturb and and, and stop life uh, depending on on the severity of it. And so that was a big problem. And on top of that, for contractors, it's where do I find work? How can it be consistent? You know, if I'm out doing stuff, I'm making money, but I'm not selling and, and it's really difficult to navigate. And so what we want to do is we want to make it hassle-free for all of those different uh, people involved. And so, you know, a couple of the things for us that, that I'm, I'm really proud of is we 
one, seven years in, we're still in business. And so that in and of itself, you know, not a lot of companies can attain that. And, you know, and at this point now, we've had, I don't know, probably close to a couple hundred thousand of these maintenance requests that we've been able to successfully resolve. Uh, we're doing that in multiple states, you know, multiple trades, right? And some people will do plumbing, but they don't do electrical, they won't do roofing, whatever the case may be. And, and so each of these have these kind of complexities inherently with them. But that that's big. The other thing that kind of always stood out to me that I loved about Cudco was just seeing what people could earn. And so even now, because the the people who perform the work, they're you know contractor base, and, and you know, this past year, uh, the contractors on our platform, you know, they earned right around $10 million uh, with us, right? And so that's that's you know, really substantial amount. We have contractors make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, and d- doing uh, plumbing or, or whatever the trades are, a lot more than they normally would make elsewhere. And, and so back to kind of like the more that you help others get what they want, you get what you want, kind of being of service, you know, to to these different people have been some of the real, real highlights. Probably for me, the biggest kind of, I don't know if it's, it's success, but point of the journey has been the journey itself. And it would be fascinating if I could kind of look at my brain prior to this and kind of what it looked like physically. And then now all of the different learnings, a ton of highs, so many lows, but uh, but just kind of who I've evolved into in that journey has, has been something that, that's been really fun for me. Yeah. What have been some of the biggest challenges on the journey, Dustin? So it's interesting when you go raise venture capital. So one is just in that process of raising capital, uh, you use some of your sales skills, you know, it absolutely is you are pitching and presenting and you're getting rejection and all of that. Uh, I still remember we had a couple of groups. Um, so the process normally is you go out, you kind of uh, talk and present your company and, you know, some uh, firms end up being really interested. Some are not interested. And those that are, they'll do what's called a term sheet and, and where literally here are the terms. And if we're going to make an investment, this is what the terms are. And it's in good faith that you sign it. And then they go through a period of diligence where they go, did you represent what you said? And if so, we're going to give you those monies. So it was our very first kind of uh, series A financing, you know, and, and we signed a term sheet with this uh, one firm and went through all of the diligence and at the 11th hour, they changed the terms of the deal. And at that point, I think maybe we had, I don't know, less than maybe 25 or $50,000 in the bank. And, and at that point, that's that's like not good. Like we won't be able to make payroll kind of low funds. And the the terms that they had suggested were really punitive and pretty draconian. And so at that juncture, you know, it was like, here we are, we put all this time into this business. Do we go and sign this, you know, knowing like this at least gives us a future or do we say no? Um, and you know, at, at that time, you know, we kind of looked at it and said, uh, we just can't sign this. And so I had to go to the team who was excited. And, you know, at that point, I think maybe I'd 40 or 50 employees and go, here's the news. <laughs> it's, uh, we, we don't have, uh, we're not going to sign this term sheet. They've changed the terms on us at the last moment and we don't have much cash, but we're going to get there. 
And, you know, one of the things that has been helpful is for us, we've really erred on the side of transparency and feel like if people are informed, they're able to make strong decisions and just kind of said, we can still get there. We believe in it. And the team really rallied around it. And, you know, we were able to continue to make payroll, you know, as well. But I still remember, I don't know if you ever read the book Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight, but, you know, I'm a big runner and I still remember running at like four in the morning on a Friday and going, how in the heck are we going to make payroll, you know, uh, later on that day and, and just trying to just go through that. And so that was like one of those where, you know, you got all these people who are there, you know, they've, they've, they've entrusted you with their putting their time and applying themselves and that they're going to be able to be compensated for that as well. And so it's kind of this, this obligation that you have. And sometimes things come out great. And sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit of adversity before it comes out great too. Yeah. Wow. That's an epic experience right there, Dustin. Wild. It reminds me of the old Cutco stories from Jim Stitt uh, and Eric Lane back when, uh, you know, they were, they had the bank pull the rug out from under them and had to figure out how to make things work and went to the employees and rallied them and pulled through, pulled through as you did. But I just think about the relationship it takes with employees to pull through something like that. I think the integrity of the leader is a critical part of that. I think your transparency through the process helped build the right relationships that help take you through those times more effectively than it might have been without you being upfront as a leader. So kudos to you for handling that in the way that you did. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Definitely didn't know it in the journey. That was where it was going to end up. But candidly, it has always been at a certain point when you get beyond just you yourself doing the business, it's, it's about the team. It's about the quality of the people and, and your trust and their trust and, and being able to work together, you know? And, and, and so those um, for, for us, I've been incredibly very fortunate to have some really great team members who are willing to go through the, the difficulties, but that's also part of life. I think that that's what that, you know, I think there's a certain bent of person who likes startups and is, you know, maybe their risk profile, they're, you know, not as risk averse. And, and, you know, it's like, look, this is all part of that learning and, and that growth journey, kind of like the branch manager or being a district manager or even just selling for the first time. You know, the, the reason why it's so formative for people is they're getting out of their comfort zone. So you're learning. And, and so people really get into that. And it is amazing the magic that can happen when people come together on a unified um, mission, you know, it really is, it really is special. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So I feel like we've delved a little bit into your mindset as a leader around this transparency with your people, trust with the team. I would love to dig into more of your leadership philosophies, Dustin. What, what comes to mind when I ask you about that? Yeah. So one of those is, and this is a mantra that we talk about, is just no surprises. Um, and there's, it's not bad news. It's not good news. It's just news. But you really don't, in business, you really do not want to have surprises. Because if there's an issue, the earlier we can work to resolve it, the higher the likelihood is we're going to be able to solve it. And on the reverse, you know, if it's good news, you'd also don't want to sit on that because 
that means perhaps we're not investing heavily enough, right? And, and we, we could invest further. And, and so that, that for us is just something that, that we talk a lot about and, and make sure that people don't hoard information and, and it's communicated. Um, uh, for, um, for myself, you know, as far as um, some of those, uh, back to the kind of that starting with why and really staying focused on clarity in the why and the what, and not spending too much time in the how. Uh, what I found over time, and this is through more mistakes than, um, than me being wise, is me making a lot of mistakes, has been the more that you kind of muddle with how people get what they need to get done, the less motivated and inspired they are. Um, you know, not, not a lot of people enjoy just being mindless robots, you know, especially in early stage startup companies. And so people being really clear about why they're doing what they're doing and what we need to get accomplished is great. But then um, letting them come up with their own ingenuity um, and resolve um, to actually um, go through the how. Um, other ones for me that, that have always been uh, pertinent is, is just leading by example. And so whether it's taking the trash out or any job that a member of the team has, you know, even to this day, I'm willing to do it, you know? And, and so that's important, I think, for, you know, um, the team, but also for myself to have empathy for everyone's job, you know, by nature in a startup is hard, you know, you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before. And so everyone has a difficult job. And the more that you can have empathy and an understanding um, for what they're going through, um, it, it has been uh, has been quite helpful. Um, one of those, just there's a whole host of things that I really got into. This is this is kind of near the end of my time with Cutco, and, and it has always stuck with me is John Wooden. And so there's just like so many nuggets from there, but just the fact of from a team standpoint, uh, you don't need to treat everybody. And, and for me, at least, I, I don't believe in treating everybody the exact same. But uh, because everyone plays a different role as well, but everyone's important, right? And, and so, uh, but the, how the team functions and people being oriented around that has always really uh, stood out to me. And then maybe one of the final ones is just how defining success. I look at success, you know, it's, it's easy, especially when I was younger, to look at what other people are, what, what they have in life or where they're at in life. and kind of go, I would like to be like that, or I desire to have those. But to really kind of view success as you becoming the best version of yourself. And as long as you're on that path, you will be successful, you know, and and not getting caught up. It's hard. I mean, and everywhere we look, there's some element of a material advertisement, you know, that that's out there for people to want more as well, but, you know, really taking um, pride in, in the journey of becoming the best version of yourself, that has really stood out and, and, and been something for me fundamentally. I was kind of look at my successes. Am I becoming incrementally better than I was before? Well, I'm on my path of success. Very cool. Love, uh, love hearing a lot of those things. I, I was just kind of 
chuckling in my own mind when you talked about leading by example and like taking out the garbage. Like one of the things I always used to make a point to do is take out the garbage. And another one was stack the chairs after a big meeting where we had a bunch of folding chairs out. And I just felt like those were like visible moments where I was saying to my people, hey, I'll do whatever it takes here, right? And and also I think it makes you more approachable as a leader when they see that you're you're doing, you know, what, what they might perceive as being little things. It creates less of a separation of like, oh, you're on this pedestal, which is what I think you don't want as a leader. You don't want your people to feel like you're unapproachable as a leader. And doing those little things always made a difference to me. And I love the John Woodenisms, man. There's so many great ones. So cool stuff. Now, I understand that uh, you guys just had a real important milestone that happened a few months ago. You closed a $20 million funding round. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. How'd you get over that hump? And what did it feel like uh, when that finally came together? So it's interesting. There's these moments in time that you kind of have a perception of what reality will be. And reality oftentimes is anticlimactic uh, to what you envision it to be. But it's a very, very tough economic environment right now, especially in the technology and, and venture world. You know, obviously the public markets that has a pretty large impact. What was great for us is that we really got committed to building just a really good business. And we went out to market and met with a variety of different different firms. And, and we uh, in a very fast fashion were able to get a term sheet and went through the diligence process and, and the terms were um, were better than where we had been before from a, the value of the business, which is which is um, always a positive thing when you're going to raise capital. The business is worth more than it was before you got the money. And so, uh, and it was what was probably one of the best parts was finding a group that we felt like was really aligned to our core values and and you know of, of kind of some of these um, uh, philosophies that we just kind of talked through. They, as a firm, they also kind of adhered and believed to as well. So that that was a great alignment for it. Um, on the other side, in raising capital, you know, it, it, it is an interesting milestone in that you have more money in the bank than you did before. Um, but unless you exited, it, it's kind of like you just got to go to work the next day. And so with that, you know, it, it um, for us, uh, we're, we are continuing to invest heavily in our product and engineering parts of our org and, and expand, you know, both from uh, product lines as well as uh, geographically. So, you know, it's a great data point that we're, we got a proof point that we're on the path where, you know, we kind of feel like we've kind of caught lightning in a bottle. And, you know, especially in, in, in the venture world, you know, they typically don't invest in companies unless they see them as having a really big outcome and they view that at the team. And, and so there's some more really smart people around the table who, who believe in kind of what we believe in and that, that we really are on to something big. Um, but it, it's, um, it's, you know, a lot of it is now there's more work to get done, you know, and it's, uh, there, there's this expectation of performance, you know, as well. And, and, and candidly for me, kind of where I grew up, it's like, wow, I got $20 million. Like that's a lot of people's hard earned money that I need to do right by. And it's awesome. But like, this is not monopoly. This is like someone, someone made sacrifices to get to be able to entrust me with these resources and their savings and, and all that. And so, you know, I take that with, with uh, a heavy 
weight as far as like, I really want to do right by the, this group of investors, our, our employees, our customers as well. And so it's exciting, but on the other side, it's kind of anticlimactic because you know, the next day you put on, you know, your pants one leg at a time and go to work and it's like, well, let's go attack it, you know, another day. Yeah. Well, I'm sure those venture partners would love to hear about that weight of responsibility that you feel because that's uh that says something right there. That's great. That's great. Are you dealing with uh, Texas-based venture companies? Or are you talking to some of my neighbors out here in Silicon Valley? Yeah, so we're fortunate. So our actual product engineering org is based in the Bay. And so we've got a bunch of really great folks. I'm actually, uh, I was out there last week and I'm, I'm out there pretty frequently now. One of our firms is um, brick and mortar. And, and so they're Bay Area based and you know they're one of the leading early stage construction tech ventures as well. One of our firms is based in Austin called S3 Ventures. And then our most recent one is actually a Florida-based fund called Weatherford Capital as well. And so, you know, in essence, we're coast to coast uh, from uh, VCs, um, but uh, all of them, you know, really wonderful people. Yeah, excellent. Well, congratulations on reaching that milestone and uh, hope you have continued success for sure. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah, well, so, you know, Dustin, our podcast theme is changing lives. And as you look ahead, just wondering uh, if you could articulate how you aspire to change people's lives through what you're doing. What's interesting for me, Dan, is I just recently got married, you know, I waited a little bit later in life and uh, to an amazing woman uh, back in case she listens to this. Uh, and on top of that, uh, we had our first son and, and he turns a year in a couple of days. And so, you know, as I, as I kind of think about this, I think about what kind of world do I want for him to take, right? And, and there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, conflict in the world and there's a lot of fear, you know, but there's also a lot of wonderful things in the world. And so I think for myself is really being focused on can I just make a difference in people's lives, right? And I think through the current business that I have, that we can enrich a lot of contractors. You know, my desire is, you know, I want to have at least 10 of our employees become millionaires and more so than the cash, but be able to impact their own communities and how they see fit. And I think that's one of those as well. And to lead a life where you know, if my son follows in certain footsteps, that I would be proud um, that he would operate in that same way, right? Kindness, generosity, grace, along with and uh, desire to help others and, you know, to become his best version of himself. And so that's kind of how, how, for me, how I think about it as well. I, I think that the, this business is a great vehicle for achieving that. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I just love the whole idea about leading by example. We've all heard the phrase that we become the sum or the average of the five people we spend the most time around. And the flip side of that is that people are always watching us and that the ways in which we lead, the ways in which we live our lives, the ways in which we set an example, oftentimes become the ways in which the people around us will operate. And the more that we can create this sort of ripple effect of positivity in the world, this ripple effect of positive actions and just all the things you've described, the better of a world our kids will grow up in. So love uh, that you shared that stuff, Dustin. Amazing insights throughout this conversation today. 
and great to see the success you're having. Thanks a lot for being part of the podcast. It was a real pleasure, Dan. Thanks for uh, the journey. I appreciate the time. All right. Dustin Marks, everybody. You could definitely see why this is a guy who was a legend in the Cutco Vector business and has become super successful in his current venture as well as founder and CEO at Stellar. Love how he talked about the branch manager experience being like an accelerator program for success. And there are multiple times where he referenced how the Cutco Vector experience can be so formative for future entrepreneurs. He talked about the importance of conviction in what you're doing. This is one of the things that I think has kept a lot of people like me around the Cutco Vector business for so long. And that is because we're not just in a business where we're trying to make a profit or trying to increase our income. We go to work every day and do what we're supposed to do and then go home. But we're in a business where we really have an impact on people's lives, a powerful and profound impact on people's lives that truly makes a difference in the big picture of things. And I think that conviction is an important thing to have in whatever business you are a part of. If you're here at Cutco Vector, value it and realize how important that is in your hands right now. Dustin talked about developing district managers and developing staff in his current business and finding out what people want, helping them connect the dots from where they are to where they want to be and how what they're doing in working with him fits in to that process and then being committed to helping people as a leader. I thought that was some great insights right there as well. You can also see that Dustin is somebody who operates with integrity as he described the transparency that he has with his organization, as he described building trust with his team, as he talked about the weight of responsibility he feels for his investors. You just get this sense that he's a guy that operates with a high level of personal integrity and people see that, people know that, that is a huge factor as well. At the end, Dustin talked about what kind of world do we want to build for our kids? And for any of you that have kids, this is probably something that's on your mind. What is the world going to be like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, as your children are growing up, as they're operating their own businesses, as they're having their own children, what are we building towards? And the best way to be able to build the kind of world that we want our kids to grow up in is to live it right now and to lead by example as Dustin shared, and to make a difference one person at a time through how you lead and inspire them, and then challenge others to do the same. Use your platform to challenge other people to do the same thing and have that mindset of wanting to build something great, not just for themselves, but for all the people around us. To me, that's the essence of what this podcast is all about. And I hope you got that sense today from Dustin Marks. And I hope you are enjoying the podcast overall. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. 
This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. Thank you.